Compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. This social distancing has really changed a lot of people's lives. I had a friend who, uh, or I have a friend who, whose daughter was supposed to get married this spring, supposed to be a real big wedding, but that was totally changed. It ended up being a small wedding with just a bride, groom, parents, and a pastor. Very different from what they expected. And I know that a number of people who are farmers, they've had a lot of things that have changed recently too, where they had a lot of livestock, but now there are no slaughterhouses to be able to send those animals to. Things are changing with social distancing. And of course, at a time like this, we think of our high school seniors. This would normally be a time of great celebration, uh, a time when there's open houses that everybody goes to, but this is not happening anymore. It seems like everything has been brought to a sudden and abrupt halt because of a virus and all the social distancing involved. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about one thing this virus cannot change. One thing this virus cannot stop. We're continuing our study in the book of Philippians this morning. And the passage we're studying is going to give us some incredibly good news. Because while a virus can stop weddings, a virus can stop businesses, and a virus can even take lives, one of the things that a virus cannot do is stop the progress of the gospel. In fact, it seems like when the gospel is in the most difficult of circumstances and people are most constrained and restricted, that is when the gospel often flourishes best and it spreads most. And for that, we celebrate. That's especially important to hear, for us to hear during this pandemic, a time when there's social distancing when there's limited resources, when there's limited relationships. Some people uh, fear that this may be something that diminishes the church. But if we look at our scriptures, we find that in times of great adversity, that is when the gospel spreads best, and that is when the gospel grows the church. And it is that what we hope for. So I'd like to ask you to turn in your copy of the scriptures to Philippians chapter 1. Our passage for this morning is verses 12 through 18. So let's go ahead and read that passage, and then we're going to be studying it together. Beginning in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. In some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, 
and in that I rejoice. That ends the reading of God's word. Let's remember uh, where Paul was and his circumstances as he wrote this letter. Paul was in prison in Rome. Paul had always planned to go to Rome, but going to Rome as a prisoner is not what he originally expected. The book of Acts tells us how he ended up in Rome and how he ended up as a prisoner. It's in chapters 21 through 28. Paul was originally in the city of Jerusalem, and he was accused by a Jewish mob of bringing a Gentile into the temple precincts. That's not what Paul actually did, but that's what they accused him of. The mob became so violent that the Roman soldiers actually surrounded Paul and they put Paul in prison, not because he had done anything wrong, but to protect him from the violence of the mob. And when there was a plot to take Paul's life, they moved him by night to the city of Caesarea. There he was in jail for approximately two years, having done nothing wrong, but he ultimately appealed his case to Caesar, where he was taken to Rome, where he was in jail for another two years. He was in jail for about four to five years for a crime he never committed. Uh, the end of the book of Acts tells us that he was in a rented house while in jail under house arrest, being chained to a Roman guard. And when Paul was in this rented house under house arrest. That is when the Philippians heard about his plight. That is when they sent, sent some money to him. They sent a man named Epaphroditus to him. Epaphroditus was most likely a deacon in the church of Philippi, and he came to give Paul the money, but also to stay with Paul, be a help to Paul, and an encouragement to Paul. And as we come to, um, actually, what Paul did was then he wrote a thank you note to the Philippians, which is the letter that we are studying today. Now, what's interesting is there are some very interesting structural changes in this letter that you and I, as normal English readers, wouldn't necessarily pick up. But let me tell you about them because they're very important to know. When we write a note to people, we always follow a structure or a form. For instance, we usually put the, the date in the upper right-hand corner, the name of the person we're addressing it to in the upper left-hand corner, and then we sign off on the bottom with a word like sincerely and our name. That is the letter structure we use. They had a letter structure they used in the ancient world as well, but it was a little different than ours. What they did at first was they identified themselves and the person that they were writing to. We saw this originally in verses 1 and 2 of Philippians, where Paul says, he says, this is Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, writing to who all the saints who are in Philippi. And then the structure of the letter was that you always told the people you were writing to, you wished them some, some positive benefit. Uh, and we saw that last week as we looked at verses 3 through 11. That's what Paul did. Following that, you usually were customarily to give a brief report on yourself and how you were doing. That was expected in every ancient letter and correspondence that took place. And here is where it gets very interesting. 
Because while Paul should in this particular portion of the book of Philippians be talking about himself and how he was doing, he doesn't do that. If he was talking about himself, he would be talking about how life was in prison, how the food was bad. It was frustrating being chained to guards, how he was lonely and missed his friends how he was filled with anxiety, wondering how Nero would decide his case and would he live or would he die. But Paul doesn't talk about his life in this section. He doesn't talk about how he is doing. He talks about how the gospel is doing. Because to Paul, the progress of the gospel in Rome is more important than him. How the gospel is doing is much more important than how he is doing. And let me just pause and give us some application right from here. If you and I were asked to write a letter, and in that letter we were encouraged to talk about how we were doing, what would we talk about? Right now, would we talk about how frustrated we are that business isn't going like it should be? How frustrated we are that we are lonely and sometimes bored? Or would we talk about something that was more dear to our heart? The gospel. How is the gospel making progress in my own life right now? How is the gospel making progress in my family's life right now? My church's life right now? My community's life right now? The question is, what's the most important thing in your life? Your comfort? Your convenience? or the progress of the gospel. For Paul, the progress of the gospel was more important than anything else, which is why he talked about it in this letter. As we get into the verses that we are going to be studying this morning, we find they all break apart under one heading. The heading that we're going to use is nothing can stop the gospel. And we'll see here that first of all, prison can't stop the progress of the gospel outside the church. Then we'll see that prison can't stop the progress of the gospel inside the church. And finally, we'll see that preachers with bad motives also can't stop the progress of the gospel. And by the way, this is very good for us to hear because right now, during COVID-19, when it seems like everything is working against us, remember, nothing, nothing can stop the progress of the gospel. A virus can't stop the progress of the gospel. Social distancing can't stop the progress of the gospel. If we will merely speak the good news about Jesus Christ to those people that God has put us in contact with, the gospel will still make progress. Lives will be changed and people will be saved. So let's dive into the first point. Paul's imprisonment couldn't stop the progress of the gospel outside the church. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. The Philippians know that Paul has been, sort of speak, taken out of gospel circulation for what is probably about four years at this point. They don't expect him to be out preaching the gospel in public and from city to city like he did at one time. They know he, he's in jail so they would not expect things to, like the gospel to make progress. But Paul says, 
rather than the Roman jail constraining the progress of the gospel, it is actually making progress for the gospel. There's some very interesting words here. I underlined in your outline the word really. That's the Greek word Milan. It carries the idea of an unexpected surprise. So Paul says, what has really happened to me has, surprise, surprise, actually served to advance the gospel even though I'm in prison. Another interesting word is the word advanced. In Greek, it literally means to remove obstacles, to repair an army to follow. Sometimes you could use the term to blaze the trail. So Paul being in prison, he says, is actually making a great progress for the gospel. It is blazing the trail for a much greater sharing of the gospel in Rome. And as we continue to study, you'll see exactly how God is using Paul to do that. Now this surprise about the gospel making progress, even when Paul is in jail, should not surprise the Philippians. If you remember for our study at the beginning of this in Acts chapter 16, that is exactly what happened in their community. It was when Paul and Silas were put in the jail in Philippi that that night when they were praying and singing hymns to God that God set a sudden earthquake and all the jail doors flew open. Surprise, surprise! <laughs> and the Philippian jailer was one of the first converts to Christ in the city of Philippi and the first members of the church in Philippi. And God is up to the same thing. Surprise, surprise, he's making the, having the gospel make progress in, while well, Paul is in jail in the city of Rome. I like how Paul says this to Timothy in a, a separate passage in his letter to 2 Timothy about the inability of a chains to be able to hold back the gospel's progress. He says, for while I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, the word of God is not bound. No matter what the situation, the gospel can make progress. The gospel will make progress. The gospel will change lives. And that is greatly encouraging for us, especially as we are in this time of a pandemic when we cannot normally meet, normally worship, and normally connect. Let's look at the details of how this is unfolding. Paul says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Let's talk for a moment about the imperial guard some of your translations may talk about the Praetorian Guard. It's the same thing. The Praetorian Guard is an elite Roman military unit. They were a hand-picked group limited to 9,000 men given double pay, a very good pension and special privileges. They were also given leadership positions in the Roman Empire. They served as the personal bodyguards to the Roman emperor himself. Extremely powerful group. Sometimes they were called the kingmakers because whenever a Roman emperor uh, changed, it was the Praetorian guard who 
decided who was going to be the next Roman emperor. And here is Paul. He's chained to one of these soldiers 24 hours a day for two years straight. Typically, they worked in six-hour shifts. So Paul was chained to four different soldiers a day. The idea was that way it would be impossible for Paul to escape. But what was really happening, it was now impossible for the members of the Praetorian Guard to escape. We could say this, uh, Paul had a captive audience. Six hours a day, they had to hear the gospel from Paul. And the Greek word used to describe Paul's chains, while not used in this particular passage that we're looking at, but used in other passages of Scripture to describe his chains, is a very descriptive word. It's a sort of a word for a short set of chains, what we may call handcuffs. The chains lasted over only between 12 to 18 inches in length. So these elite Praetorian Guard, who are the ones really in charge of being the bodyguards for Caesar himself are one by one being chained to Paul, four of them a day. They can't get away from him. They're hearing Paul share the gospel with them. And if Paul is sharing the gospel with somebody else, they can't help but overhear. They're no more than 12 inches away from him at all times. This is like being chained to Billy Graham. I mean, how can they not help but become Christians? So, surprise, surprise, in an unexpected way, Praetorian guards, this elite military unit, are coming to Christ. They're going home and they are sharing the gospel with their family. They're sharing the gospel with other members of Caesar's household and the gospel is making progress in an unexpected way. I love the way the letter of Philippian ends. And Paul writes this. To, he says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Could you imagine the Philippians reading that? Wait, you mean people in Caesar's household are becoming Christians? How have they become Christians? It's through those Praetorian guards that Paul unexpectedly found himself chained to for a day. How does this apply to you and me? You know, we find ourselves chained in different places right now, don't we? Some of us feel like we're chained at home. Others of us feel like we're chained at a desk at work. Others of us are chained to a laptop as we try to catch up on schoolwork. Some of us work chained to an assembly line. Some of us are chained to a hospital bed or a dialysis machine. And the message is this. Wherever God has chained us, he has put us there for a reason. To share the gospel to those he has chained us with. That's why God chained Paul to the Roman soldiers. That's why God has us chained where we are right now. He has us in our neighborhood so we can share the gospel with our neighbors. He has us in our apartment building so we can share the gospel in those in the apartment next to us. He has us chained to our co-workers so we can speak about Jesus to them. And it's also important to realize 
though this is much harder to realize, that sometimes God changes our plans and chains us in places we didn't originally expect to go, but he does it for a good reason. Remember, Paul always wanted to go to Rome to share the gospel, but it was a change in plans to go to Rome as a prisoner to share the gospel there. By the way, that was a change in Paul's plans. It was not a change in God's plans. That was the way God planned to take him to Rome so he could chain him to the right people to be able to share the gospel with. And for us, folks, sometimes God allows unexpected curveballs into our world right now. We find unexpected changes in our plans, whether that's financially or whether that's vocationally. But why that may be a change in our plans, it is not a change in God's plans for you and for me. What he is doing is he's bringing us a different place to share the gospel with different people. If you find yourself in a position where you're laid off during this time and you have to find a different job during this time, all he's doing is bringing you to a different set of people to share the gospel with. Others of you find yourself not having not enough work, but having far too much work and networking with all kinds of people you wouldn't normally see. That's all part of God's good plans for you to change the number of people he has you interacting with so you can share the gospel with them. By the way, it's also important to note that when God often changes our plans, it's easy for us to start whining, start grumbling, and start complaining, isn't it? But that's exactly the wrong thing to do. Because when God changes our plans and brings us a place we weren't expecting to go, he's doing that so we can share the gospel. And when we whine, grumble, and complain, we ruin our witness for the gospel, don't we? We ruin the whole purpose of why he's changing where we are located at. Look what Paul says later in Philippians. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in this world. This reminds me of the story of Chuck Colson. Some of you know that story. He was a counsel to President Nixon, very powerful man in this world. Ended up being caught up in the Watergate scandal, Uh, became a Christian, and then found himself in jail. Sudden change in his plans. (laughs) He went from being in the White House to the jailhouse. But while it was a change in his plans, it was not a change in God's plans for him. In fact, Chuck writes this in his autobiography, the book called Born Again. He says, I found myself increasingly drawn to the idea that God had put me in prison for a purpose and that I should do something for those I had left behind. And from that time in prison, Chuck Colson ended up having a burden for the prisoners, starting a ministry called Prison Fellowship in 1976, which is the largest ministry in our nation to share the gospel with those behind bars. God changed 
changed Chuck Colson's location for a purpose, to be able to share the gospel in places he never expected, just like Paul and just like you and me. The next major point is this. Paul's imprisonment gave more gospel courage to those inside the church. He says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. The Christians in Rome have found themselves greatly encouraged to share about Jesus Christ outside of prison walls because they've heard of the incredible effectiveness of Paul sharing about Christ inside of prison walls. They're encouraged to speak the word of God with more boldness. At this time, it made sense that many of the Roman Christians had an increased timidity before Paul came on the scene. We know that uh, Christians were not really liked well in Rome. Nero's lunacy was actually coming to its peak, and only two years after this, Nero was set the great fire of Rome to burn down a portion of the city, and then he will blame the Christians as the scapegoats for that. So the Roman Christians had learned at this point that if you want to survive, you keep your mouth shut and you don't talk about Jesus. But when they see what's been going on with Paul in prison and the conversion of the elite Praetorian Guard, they're encouraged to talk about Jesus. In fact, I like the way it says it here. Paul says they've become much more bold. Literally in Greek, that word means to have great courage even in the face of death. The way I could describe it to you <laughs> reminds me of what Cindy, Deanna, and I were doing this past week. We were downstairs in the basement flipping through the television and one of the channels had a replay of an old Mission Impossible movie. Deanna hadn't seen the movie, so we decided to watch it together. It was one of those movies where it was the one where Tom Cruise is climbing up a rope that's dangling from a helicopter and he gets to the top and almost gets in the helicopter and falls and gets caught in the package on the bottom and he climbs up again and it's all taking place hundreds of feet in the air, gets in the helicopter and he saves the day. Now we all know that didn't really take place. It's all computer graphics, but just watching it still leaves butterflies in our stomach. But what makes the Mission Impossible movies so exciting is that Tom Cruise is a great action hero with courage in the face of death, willing to risk his life to save the day. This is the exact same concept that is being talked about here. The Roman Christians are now running around the city of Rome like Tom Cruise, like action heroes, with great courage talking about Jesus Christ, even if it may cost them their life. The gospel is making much more progress. And here's the application for us, folks. Whenever we courageously live for Christ and share the gospel of Christ, we inspire others to do the same thing. Whenever we courageously live for Christ and share the gospel of Christ, we inspire others to do the same thing. An example of that might be Eric Liddell. 
Uh, I, he was one of my heroes. I have a number of his biographies on my shelf in my office. I've, I've read all of them. He was an uh, Olympic runner, uh, very good at running. And he went to the Olympics, and when he found that his race was held on a Sunday, he was convicted the Sunday was the Lord's Day. He refused to run. As a result, they ended up switching him to a different race, to run in a race he had never trained for, to run in a race he had never competed in. The first time he ran in that race, he won the Olympic gold medal. Incredible ability. And when he came home after the Olympics, he was immensely popular. But here's what's interesting. He didn't live in that popularity and bask in that popularity, but he was convinced that it was more important to share the gospel. He left behind the popularity, became a missionary to China to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And many people have been touched by the example of his life. Thousands of people have been inspired to put their faith in front of their sports because of the example of his life. Thousands of people have been inspired to put sharing the gospel before wealth and fame because of the example of his life. When we courageously live for Christ, folks, we become an example for others and encourage them also to live boldly in their faith. That didn't just happen for Paul boldly sharing his faith in prison. Eric Liddell, boldly living out his faith as an Olympic runner, but it happens for you and for me as well. When we boldly live out our faith, others are f encouraged to follow in our footsteps. The third point we see is this. Envious evangelists preaching the gospel with impure motives also couldn't stop the progress of the gospel. Paul says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. So while Paul is preaching the gospel, others are now preaching the gospel. While Paul is in prison, excuse me, others are now preaching the gospel. Some are preaching the gospel with good motives for the fame of Jesus and the proclamation of his name. But others are preaching the gospel from bad motives, out of envy of Paul, jealousy of Paul, rivalry of Paul. They see that Paul is now locked up. This is their chance to take first place in people's lives. They say when Paul is imprisoned, it's their opportunity to put themselves in first place and to throw Paul under the bus. And here's what's interesting to notice about them. They are preaching the right gospel message, but they're preaching the gospel message with absolutely the wrong motives. Their motives are for their popularity. Their motives are for their fame. Their motives are jealousy of Paul.
And Paul says they were seeking to afflict him, to hurt him. I don't know what they were doing, but we can speculate what they may be saying. I suppose some of them were saying that the reason that Paul was still in prison is because Paul probably had some kind of secret sin in his life that he had never confessed. That's why God wasn't taking him out. It doesn't say that in Scripture, but we know that Job's friends accused him of that in the Old Testament when he went through difficult times, and there was no secret sin in Job's life. There was no secret sin in Paul's life, but I'm sure that's what they probably said. Probably there were others who said the reason that Paul was in prison is because he simply didn't have enough faith to get out of prison. You know those faith and prosperity people? If you just have enough faith, you can do anything. They're around today, and I'm sure they're around in, in that day. But while the content of these people's gospel message was right, their motives were wrong as they sought to ruin Paul's reputation. The scriptures tell us that sometimes preachers preach the gospel with the wrong motives. 1 Peter chapter 5 tells us that sometimes preachers have a motive of money. They preach the gospel to get rich. 1 Peter 5 also tells us that sometimes preachers have the motive of getting fame, power, and influence and control. And 3 John verse 9 tells us about a person like that. His name, his name was Diotrephes. He always wanted to be first. He always needed to be the center of attention. He was a Christian preaching the gospel with the wrong motives. But here's what's so amazing. Paul at this point doesn't get upset. He doesn't get bent out of shape. He doesn't work on saving his reputation. He says, you know what? As long as the gospel is being preached, lives are going to be changed and the gospel is going to make progress. Even if it's being preached by people who are doing it from completely impure motives. Now here's where the great application comes for you and me. If the gospel changes lives and people are born again when it's preached by those who do it with impure motives, the gospel will still change lives and people will be born again when it's preached by people like you and me who do it simply and rightly with actually good motives in our hearts. That's the amazing part of the gospel. It is imbued with power from God himself to change lives. It is not about our ability to communicate it effectively or wistfully, but it's about God's ability to change lives. It's this simple, folks, that God loves us, that we are sinners, and there's no way to save ourselves from that. But God loves us so much that he sent his own son to die for us. He died in our place for our sin on the cross and then rose to new life. And if we confess our sin to God and ask Jesus to pay for our sin, we are born again. It's as simple as John 3.16. And when you and I speak that simple message to those that God has put in our life, People will be changed. Lives will be different. Now, by the way, I should mention this. 
that when it comes to people speaking the gospel with uh, impure motives, there's also people who don't speak the pure gospel. They speak a false gospel. And Paul feels very differently that, about them. Look what he says. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. What matters is the purity of the message, not necessarily the purity of the messenger. An impure messenger can still deliver an effective message. Now let's look at how we can apply this to our life. I have four points for you here. Number one, we've learned hard times are not a derailment of God's plans. They are part of God's plans. They give us new ways that we can share the gospel. We saw that with Paul for five years in prison. It was a derailment of his plans, but that was not a derailment in God's plans. It was the way that God would bring Paul to the Praetorian Guard to be able to share the gospel in an unexpected way with those people in Roman leadership. And right now, when hard times come into your life and mine, they may not be what we had planned, but they are what God has planned. And he is moving us from one location to another to be able to share the good news with different people. The next one, God anchors us where he wants us to share the gospel. Just as God anchored Paul to a praetorian guard in Rome, sometimes he anchors us right where we are so we can share the gospel in our neighborhood, so we can share the gospel in our apartment so we can share the gospel in our hospital bed, from our nursing home. God anchors around us the people that he wants us to share the gospel with. Next thing we learned is this. Joy comes from the progress of the gospel, not the comfort of our circumstances. The progress of the gospel is the most important thing in this world. Where do you find your joy? For us, it is so easy to find our joy in our circumstances and find our sadness in our circumstances. But Paul gives us the example that the most important thing in this world is the progress of the gospel. And when the gospel is making progress in spite of hard times, that is something to be joyful about in your lives and mine. And lastly is this. When we speak the gospel, nothing, and I mean nothing, can stop the progress of the gospel. My friends, the gospel is the most powerful force in the world, much more powerful than a virus. As Paul says in Romans chapter 10, how then will they call on him in whom they have not heard? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet who those, of those who preach the good news. So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Folks, 
if we speak the gospel to those that God has put in our sphere of influence this week, I guarantee you that even if we cannot speak the gospel eloquently, even if we cannot speak the gospel influentially, God will use it to change lives and people will be born again, even in a time of social isolation, because nothing, my friends, can stop the progress of God's word. The only question is, will you and I do it? Here's my challenge for you this week. This week, I want you to join me in praying that God will give you one clear gospel opportunity this week where you can share the good news of Jesus Christ and of God's love for us through him and invite somebody to be born again. Just one time in seven days. Will you join me in praying that God will give you that opportunity to unleash the gospel with your lips that God's word may make progress. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this encouraging word that even when Paul was in prison, the gospel was making good progress in unexpected ways. And that as we are now in social isolation and distancing and lockdown and all these kind of different things, we thank you that we can know for sure the gospel will make progress. It'll just do it in unexpected ways as long as we will speak it. So this week, I ask that you would give us just one person, one person that we can insert the gospel message to in a conversation in our lives. We ask that in your name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.